Well, thank you so much for having me back again. It's always an encouragement when somebody's heard me once and I get an invitation to come back again. And it's also a joy to be able to bring my wife with me this time to share with you a little bit from God's Word about what He might say to us about what He would have us to do in His world. And I am especially thankful also to the Weather Committee. They did a much better job this time. Last time we had snow when I came. It was a beautiful drive to get here today. And I'm excited about the opportunity to see what God might have to say to us or even to me this day. We always have to ask, what might God use to speak into my life? What is that in your life? Could it be some professor from Southern Seminary who just happened to be here today? You came here today, you're expecting a sermon like every other sermon, and God uses this day, this week preacher, to speak his powerful word in your heart. I know that God is moving people in this congregation today to take some new step in missions. I don't know what that is in your life. The person seated next to you that sits across the breakfast table from you may not know what that is in your life. But I know that God is doing that today. I know it in my heart, and I want us to see exactly what that might be. But one of the questions that comes to us is that when he calls us to be involved in his work, what does that look like? The Bible teaches us that everything in here was written for our own edification, for our teaching, for our benefit, for our comfort, to guide us. And so it's no surprise that all we have to do is glance through the pages of Scripture to see how God has called, spoken to, burdened other people throughout the history of His Word to be involved in His work in His world. Now the passage that I want us to consider today is a passage that's way back in the Old Testament that you might not normally think about when you think about missions. In fact, all the way back in the book of Genesis is where we're going today. You'll remember that there was the creation, and then after the creation, there's the fall into sin, and after the fall into sin, things continual, continually get worse. In fact, one of the boys of that original couple killed the other boy. And then things continue to grew into to grow into sin so badly that God sent a flood to destroy every living thing on the planet except for one family because that husband was a righteous man so he saved that man and he saved his family through the flood but as soon as the flood was over that man got off the boat and he got drunk and things started all over again and it wasn't very long before God said, this is no surprise to me. I have always known that there is nothing but evil in your hearts continually. God had given us this thing called the primary commission, way before the great commission. The primary commission was that we would multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion over it. But instead of doing that, all the people decided they would huddle up in this one place. And they would build this huge tower to make a great name for ourselves. And if God ever sends another one of those floods, we won't even get our feet wet because we'll be up at the top of this tower. That's what they thought. God came down, and in Genesis 10 and 11, we have the table of nations and we have the Tower of Babel, where God disperses the people around the earth according to various languages. And then, in chapter 12... God speaks again. Now, it had been 420 years since he spoke to Noah. But he speaks again after 420 years in Genesis 12, in verse 1. 
He speaks to a man who's about 75 years old, the Bible tells us. And the Bible says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is an amazing story. If we would just look at a little bit of the details that go behind it. Now, there's a, there's a call here, and it comes with two parts, really, a command and a promise. And each one of those has two parts. The command has two parts, and the promise to Abraham has two parts. The very first part, which is going to walk through this few verse passage and see what God might say to Abraham and perhaps even through Abraham to one of us here today. God says to Abraham what he says to all of us, go and be obedient. Now the go is the question, where? But God says to him, go, Abraham, just be obedient. Be obedient to my command to go is the very first part of the command. Derek Kidner, an Old Testament commentator, said that he reminds us that Abram, in this passage, we have to remember, was middle-aged, prosperous, settled, and thoroughly pagan. He had a very comfortable life. It was all established. He had his plan already set up. I'm sure he probably already had a place at the lake, and he had a place where he hunted during hunting season. His whole life was all set up. And God spoke to him, and he said, I need you to sever ties. In fact, there were three ties that we see Abram had to sever. One was to leave his country. Another was to leave his birthplace, his kindred. And another was to leave his father's house. All missionaries have to do that when God calls you to go to another place. In fact, when we were leaving our country... I had grown up, was reared in Mississippi. All of my life I'd lived there. A little Southern Baptist boy. My mom was organist. My dad was deacon, Sunday school teacher, the whole thing. Just our lives were set. I was married. God called me to himself, gave me a call to missions, and he told us to go. By then, we had a couple of little children. Our lives were kind of mapped out. While we were still younger than Abraham was, I thought I had it all figured out. I began to make a list of what I call the American dream. Things that I would miss if we go. And then even in language school, I continued to maintain that list. Things that my kids would never know. I began to think about Friday night football games, proms, all the things that are just the normal part of this life. It was strange to leave your country that you had always expected would be your lot and for your family. And I'll have to tell you, when we were in Ecuador as missionaries with the International Mission Board, our kids were going to national schools because there was no MK school where we were, so they just went to Ecuadorian schools. And to stand and watch your kids line up with all those Ecuadorian children in their uniforms getting ready to go to school, put their hands on their heart and say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of another country took a little while for me to get my head around. To hear them sing the national anthem of another country and them know that national anthem better than they knew our own. God told Abraham, leave all that and go to the place that I'm going to call you. He also had to leave his birthplace, his kindred, that is his culture. 
the way of life, the, the way that you interact in everyday normal life, what just seems real to you. When, when you go to another place, you go through not just culture shock, certainly there's that. You have to learn a new language, a new sometimes a new way of driving, uh, or forget how to drive, or something like that. You have to learn all these new things, but there's also country shock. If you're from West Texas and then you go to serve someplace high in the mountains or you go to serve in on the coastal area someplace, there's a new adjustment to the rhythm of life and to, to everything. And then to leave your father's house, that, that's got to be the big thing for most of us because Thanksgiving, Christmas, birthday celebrations, maybe for you, you have a family reunion around Labor Day every year, whatever, that peace, that shalom that you feel when your family's together, that seems almost like an inalienable right. That's who we are. I would never miss that. Some people get married, and I'm willing to leave and cleave to the degree that we can still come back on these holidays because that's who I am. That's what we like to think. And God is saying to Abram, leave that. Now, as much as we hate change in our lives, we hate it more when we get older. Right? And the older we get, the more we want our stuff around us and we want things to be left alone. God doesn't always listen to that. Abram seems like an old guy here, right? He's about 75, but he's still only a third of the age of his father, and he's going to live for a whole nother century. So he's got a lot more years to live, and God looks out at him, and he says, leave where you are and go to the place that I'm going to send you. Now, most of us would have to think about that for a while. We'd probably set up a few appointments with Brother Bill. We'd probably get some books to read. Certainly, you'd want to read The Missionary Call. It's a wonderful book to help you understand what God's saying to your life. They make wonderful Christmas gifts as well. But you're thinking through trying to, what is this call in my life? But prompt obedience is what always characterizes Abraham. Over and over we see that in his life. In chapter 17, verse 23, when Abram received the commandment, the new instructions for circumcision, this was a new thing. Abram receives this instruction from God. This is how my people would be known. The Bible says on that very day he obeyed God. Chapter 21, verse 14, when God says it was okay to do with Hagar like Sarah wanted to do to her, which most of us read that, we seem Sarah was a little harsh with Hagar. God tells Abraham, it's okay, I'm going to make a great nation out of Ishmael also. But the Bible says that Abraham, early the next morning, sent her away. When God told him, to sacrifice Isaac, the son of the promise, the son through whom the Messiah would come, Abraham, his treasured, precious son, the Bible says, early the next morning. Now, I don't know what God's calling you to do. I'm not exactly sure what he might say to you today. But let prompt obedience characterize your life. When I was saved, when I was in my mid-20s, I felt like I had wasted my entire life. Because I had. I had lived it for me. And just about every day now, I look back over at my life, at all that I've done, all I'm doing now, and all I probably could do if I would be more committed and more dedicated, and I feel like I'm still wasting my life. So that when God does say something to me and says it clearly, I hope prompt obedience will characterize who I am. John Wesley said, 
by this precept, he, that is Abraham, was tried whether he loved God better than he loved his native soil. his dearest friends, and whether he could willingly leave all to go along with God. His country was idolatrous. His kindred and his father's house were a constant temptation to him. You remember, his family had always worshipped the stars, not Yahweh God. And he could not continue with them without danger of being infected by them, Wesley said. Therefore, get thee out, get thee gone with all speed, escape for thy life, and look not behind thee. When God's call comes to you and says, go, will we do that? Or will we say, well, maybe they're idolatrous, but they're not that idolatrous. And maybe this is a, a pagan culture in which we live, but it's, it's not that bad. This morning, I will say again, God is calling some people here to take some step in missions, in international missions. I'm not sure what it is, but I know that I even meet people on the mission field who have committed their lives to missions, and I'll ask them, what is God calling you to do? And they look at me like they're going to wait for me to grow another head or something. What do you mean? I'm on the mission field. And I always challenge people, don't just be able to sing wherever he led, I went. Always be willing and able to sing wherever he leads, I'll go. Every day before I finish my quiet time, the next to last thing I pray is what is it that's not being done that ought to be done that I could do? And if it were done, it would result in greater glory to God and advance of his kingdom. That's kind of convoluted, but I promise I pray that every single day. The next to last thing I pray. The last thing I pray is I will go anywhere, anytime, and do anything you say for me to do. I told my daughter not long ago, just about every day I go to bed disappointed if I go to sleep in the same zip code where I woke up. I always hope that he's got something else for me to do. I don't want to get to a place, put it in park, build a comfort zone, and come to the end of my days. Just before I step in glory, I look over my shoulder and realize I live my life for me. I want to take a host with me when I go home. People who, in turn, leave behind, train people, who disciple people who can bring a host with them. It may not be to pack up and go to the other side of the world. I'm not saying that God is telling you to go to the other side of the world. But God may be calling some of you to break a relationship, to leave a relationship behind that you know you need to leave, a, a habit you need to stop some pattern of your life you need to break. When God does call us to go someplace, remember, He doesn't call us into a vacuum. He has a plan for us there. And He doesn't call us from a vacuum. There is something He wants us to get up from and leave and go to the promise that He has for us. That's an exciting life. It should not be a scary thing. God loves you with a love you don't know anything about. And He wants you to have the blessing in your life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and be miserable in it. No, he said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. That's the plan he has for you. That's the plan he had for Abraham. He said, get up from where you are and go. And Abraham said, okay, Lord, where, where is it you want me to go? And he said, I'll tell you when you get there. He had to go by faith. The last part of verse 1 in chapter 12 says, he went 
to the place, God says, to the land that I will show you. Hebrews 11.8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed going by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. Derek Kidner again said, Abraham must exchange the known for the unknown and find his reward in what he would never live to see. That is a great nation. Wesley again said, By this precept he was tried whether he could trust God farther than he saw him. He must leave his country and go to a land that God would show him. Dawson Trotman was the guy that started the Navigators. I don't know if you're familiar with that ministry, um, but they're really big on discipleship, grew out of a fellow who was in the Navy and just used that sort of administration to run a, a mission organization that trains people in discipleship all over the world. And he, what he would always teach his people when they'd say, well, I want to follow God, but I, I mean, I can't see exactly where this thing is going. And he would always tell them, you just go as far as you can see. When you get there, God will show you the next part. But oftentimes, if we don't get up and go to that first step, we don't see the rest of the plan. And we always wonder, God is calling you to do something today, and it may take great faith on your part. You just don't see how it can be done. What if, what if when Joshua received the mantle of leadership from Moses, Moses couldn't go into the promised land, so he, God told him to name Joshua. Joshua's got to lead them across, but the Jordan is at flood stage. How in the world are they going to get across there? What if Joshua decided to sit down and pray and stare at his navel and get into the paralysis of analysis and everything. Just say, Lord, if, if, you'll just, if you'll part those waters, here we go, we'll do it. They'd still be sitting there. It'd be a lot of little skeletons sitting on the edge of the Jordan River, right? Because that never happened. When did it happen? When they stepped out in faith and when they placed their feet on the water, God parted the waters and they went across. Some things, we say, just have to be seen to believe. But as we walk the Christian life, some things have to be believed to be seen. The African impala, when it's running in a dead run, it can jump 10 feet high and cover 30 feet on a jump. That's phenomenal, isn't it? But any zoo on the planet can keep impalas in a little enclosure with a 3-foot high fence. Because impalas will not jump if they don't see where they're going to land. And a lot of us are that way. I want all the answers first, Lord. W work this out. And, and, okay, and then if it makes sense, we'll head out. God says go. And go by faith. The second part of what came to Abraham was the blessing. And the blessing has two parts. Verse 2, he says, and I will bless you. God mentions the word bless, blessing, blessed five times in three verses here. He tells Abraham that he would bless him numerically, influentially, spiritually, temporally, that is with, with wealth and all that, lands and property, and also eternally. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I mean, really, what could this mean to a guy who was childless and was married to a barren woman? I mean, that had to seem a little empty. This has got to be some spiritual meaning. What are you trying to tell me here, Lord? That didn't really compute to him. We don't have children. We're both old as a tree. 
My wife is barren. How is this supposed to happen? And yet the Bible says he went by faith. Genesis 17.2 says, God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Genesis 17.5, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. Great in numbers, great in significance, great in influence. And the truth is, God will bless you too. This is not just Abraham. Spurgeon tells us that all of these kinds of promises can be appropriated by God's people. In a little book he wrote called Faith's Checkbook, he teaches us that all of God's promises are like checks already signed. But they say, pay to the order of one of my children. And God's children walk by faith. We believe, we trust that what God has said will be true. But notice that God tells him, and I will make your name great. The very thing that the tower builders were trying to accomplish, they didn't pull off, did they? They said, they, were try they said, we will build this tower and we will make a great name for ourselves. And it fizzled. Abraham couldn't do anything. And God said, I will make your name great. I will give you that which they could not bring about. Maybe the thing that you sense God might be saying in your life, you wonder, how in the world can this come to pass? But God says, remember I said there are two parts to it. He didn't just say, I will bless you. He says, I will bless others through you. And that's a part of the promise of God today, too, and the call of God. There's a purpose phrase in here, a so that. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to others. From the very beginning, God has been concerned about the nations. He has a missionary heartbeat. He came to Adam and Eve when they had sinned. They weren't looking for God. They were hiding from Him. They were scared to death when they heard Him walking in, in the garden and, and they, they'd made fig coverings to try to clothe themselves. And God came to them and He gave them the word of good news. He told them, there will be the seed of this woman who will destroy the work of the evil one and crush his head. And through the years, we see God coming to the nations. Even in the psalm we just heard a little while ago, Psalm 67, let the nations be glad. In the great suffering servant passages of Isaiah, those are referring to Jesus. He is the suffering servant. Chapter 49, verse 6 of Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament. God, the Father in a sense, is speaking to God the Son, the suffering servant, when he says, it's too small a thing for me that you should be my servant to raise up the children of Abraham. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, a light for the nations. Your Bible may translate that. When the baby Jesus was brought to the temple to be dedicated. Simeon was there, you know, and he took the baby in his arms and he quoted that exact verse to show that clearly that verse applies to this child. He will be a light for the nations. God has always been concerned about the nations. He said, go, Abraham. Yes, I'll bless you, but I will bless others through you. Verse 3, he said, I will bless those who bless you. 
And those who dishonor you I will curse, and in you all the families, or the clans, or the nations. I don't know how your Bible translates that. It's one of those ideas. But he says all of them, not just the Jews, not just those that are at Grace Baptist in Somerset, all the nations, all the peoples will be blessed through you. This passage, Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, it's included in all of our Intro to Missiology books. I teach missions and cultural anthropology at Southern and do several other things there. We used to be missionaries in Ecuador. Uh, I still go back to Ecuador and Peru, Costa Rica, well, really around the world, but it's in, uh, focusing on Latin America. I do that a lot. I'm doing orientation for mission teams on a regular basis, helping them to get prepared to go for other agencies as well as our own and every piece of literature that, I'm, that they're giving me to use for orientation, they always include this passage, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Because we understand that God is saying, through you, Abraham, and the line that will come through you, Christ himself, through you, all the nations will be blessed. God came to Adam and Eve in the garden when they had sinned. God told to Noah and his sons to multiply, fill the earth, have dominion over it. The Tower of Babel was our undoing. But God was showing that it was going to come to pass. God is the one who came down. And he divided them up by, nation, by languages according to nations and families. And they had to go around the world. And as they go around the world, people hear the good news. They hear about this God. Even Naaman, remember the Syrian general, wicked, hateful, McNasty kind of guy that nobody liked. He came down, he was stealing people, even stole this young girl and was using her for his servant girl in his house, his wife's maid in the house. And he gets leprosy and she said, hey, there's a prophet in Israel, go down there. And he hears the truth from his maid. Even during the time of the Vikings invading the Christian lands and kidnapping people to use for slaves. They were hearing the gospel from those that they had taken captive. Patrick, in the story of Patrick in Ireland, same kind of story over and over. They hear the gospel from those who go, the good news from those who go. And God may be calling you to go on one of these trips to Peru, to stay in Peru, to receive the trips when they come down. I don't know. And you say, I speak Spanish like a little kid. God can't use me. Trust me, if God can use me, he can use you. I have seen people with terrible Spanish. They can't even conjugate the verbs. The brothers there, they call them hermano infinitivo. They just throw out the infinitive and trust the people to figure it out. But in my life, from my own children and from other people's children, I have learned great truths. I have a list of some of these truths that you might just think about the wisdom that's inherent in these little sentences. One kid said, no matter how hard you try, you can't baptize cats. That's a good word. <laughs> Never ask your three-year-old brother to hold a tomato. If your mom is mad at your dad, don't let her brush your hair. <laughs> Never sneeze when someone is cutting your hair. One of them said, it's hard to unlearn a bad word. Little kids, simple words, a pencil without an eraser may as well just be a pen. And never say, the last one is a rotten egg, unless you're absolutely sure there's a slower kid behind you. <laughs> 
little kids, simple sentences, but deep truths. When we were teaching our kids, when they were very little, just barely able to toddle around and speak English, we were catechizing the kids, and one of the catechisms that we used asked a series of questions that they knew the questions and the answers to, although they weren't saved yet, they knew the questions and the answers. And one night I was teaching in the church that I was pastoring, and I was asking them, how can we glorify God? And we had lots of interesting answers, but I could tell we were really struggling with, how would I answer that? How does a person glorify God? And it really struck me, because that night as we were driving home, I thought, well, this would be a good opportunity to work on my uh, kids with the questions and answers. So I asked them, you know, who made you? God made me. What else did God make? God made me in all things. Why did God make you in all things? God made me in all things for his own glory. How can you glorify God? By loving him and doing what he commands. That's a simple answer. But that is a lifelong truth. What has he commanded us to do? To go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe everything that he has commanded us. Somebody said we should make his last command our first priority. But oftentimes it doesn't even make the list of priorities to do that. I'm very thankful for this church, for the mission's emphasis here, for, in fact, the vision that you share in the same part of the world that's on my heart. I know that God will bless you, and he will bless others through you as you do that. Even the words that come out of your mouth when you feel frustrated because you don't speak the language, God will use that. And you say, but I don't know all these deep truths. I've not been to seminary. You know what God's done in your life. I was blind spiritually and now I can see. You can do that. I was invited to come out into the banana country of Ecuador. One time I was in the country and a missionary who worked out there with very, very just dirt, poor, humble servants of the Lord that were trying their best to pastor these churches, but they didn't, they didn't have any training whatsoever. He said, would you come out and just give them a talk, 45 minutes or an hour or so? I said, brother, I'd be honored to do that. If you'll huddle them up, I'll come out there. So he got them all together. I went out there, and he had them all lined up. And so I just I shared basic gospel message, four-part message that I oftentimes share that I call the missionary message. God is holy. You're not. Jesus is the answer. You must repent and be born again. But I unpacked each one of those for about 40, 45 minutes and just made them see why it is so necessary to have Jesus. Then I was hoping that they would have a handle now that they can use to explain to others. When I got through with that, one of the pastors said, it was beautiful, brother. I, I've never heard that before in my life. And another one of the pastors prayed to receive Christ. And so I never assume. I never assumed that something that might seem so simple to me would be a blessing to them. And just imagine how the blessing that those guys can be to others with the simple truth. I tell people, if you could teach Sunday school here, you can go with us and help train people down there. These people desperately need to hear the truth. The, one that, the call that came to Abraham is kind of like the one that comes to us. It doesn't leave us where it finds us. Sometimes it's to get up and go. We're not sure where. We're not sure what that means. We're not sure how it's going to be done. Sometimes it seems like just too big of a sacrifice. C.T. Studd, missionary to Africa, China, and then Africa, said, if Jesus is God, 
And he died for my sins. No sacrifice I could make would be too great. Jim Elliott, missionary martyr to Ecuador, said, He's is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. God is calling people even here today. Now, I hope and pray he's calling some of you to get up and go. Because as I go around the world, I see that there is a harvest ready to be brought in, but there are very few workers. And so I do pray every day that God would send out workers into his harvest field. But I also realize that he may be calling some of you to do something else. Everybody should be involved somehow in the missionary enterprise. Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes, said every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. He didn't mean you had to sell the farm and go. He didn't. What did he mean? He meant kind of what Paul meant. Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then Paul said, how can they call on somebody they've not believed in? And how can they believe in somebody they've never even heard of? And how can they hear unless somebody preaches? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Remember when the Holy Spirit said to the church at Syria and Antioch, set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work I have for them to do? He didn't say to the church at Antioch, and you guys are a bunch of slackers. If y'all ever get serious, I'll send y'all out. No. Their job was to send. Others may receive the calling to go. But if you're a believer, you are either a goer or you are a sender. The only question is, what kind of goer am I? How serious a sender am I? God's calling everybody here to take a step. I hope and pray he's calling you to take a step to go. But if he's not, I hope he's calling you to take a more serious step to send. To pray, to give, to give till it hurts, and then keep giving until it stops hurting. The world is dying and going to hell. Every day about 50,000 people step into a Christless eternity who never even heard the gospel. And we have it. And God is calling. Are we listening? And will we go? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge of your word, speaking to our hearts. Lord, I ask that you would move among us right now and that those of us who are here would not hear a challenge from a person who teaches missions whom we expect to talk about missions. But Lord, they would see in your word, your passion for the nations, that you left us here after you saved us for some purpose. What is that? Help us to bring you glory around your world, in the nations. Lord, if, if this call to me means to pack up my family, leave where I am and go, I pray that you would make that very clear. Show me, Lord, and I will go. I know that I speak to others with the same heartbeat here. All we want is all you want. So make it plain, Lord. Make it clear. Have your way with each one of us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.